Today we're going to talk about someone whose gift made room for them. Her gift made room for her. Amen. Her gift made room for her. Many of you know that Aretha Franklin uh, passed away this week. And uh, <clears throat> God has taught me on over the years, a little bit here and there, about gifts and callings. Um, that's one of the the abilities he's given me prophetically is to see uh, gifts and callings in people to be able to sort out the sheep um, and he can brand you when he wants to but you know uh, to see what God calls you and how he calls you and so it's always intrigued me um, that he gives gifts to everybody there's no one who is without a gift that will make room for them in the earth. In fact, that gift is very essential uh, that it manifests to the full in the earth. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about the gift that was placed inside of Miss Franklin and how it was managed in the earth to give you an understanding of how um, God places us where he wants us to be at the time that we're there. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make um, uh, errors in his judgment. Uh, he is there to guide us and to help us at all times. Um, there is a grace afforded us for the call of God to minister out of that gift while we're in the earth. And um, sometimes it's... it's um, uh, sometimes we circumvent the grace of God in situations. So we'll, we'll look at all of these aspects as we look at how she was able to use the gift of, that God placed in her. In Proverbs 18, verse 16, it says here, oh, let me, get, <laughs> let me get the right scripture. 18, 16 says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now, <clears throat> we all know that it's the utilization of the gift that produces what we see in the word. So you can say this, a man's gift, if it's developed fully, makes room for him. Or a man's gift, if it's recognized by him and developed, makes room for him and puts him in the company of great men. It'll bring you before great people. So your gift then has the ability to elevate you in the earth. As I said, God gifts everybody. He puts something in everybody that will make room for you on this earth. So there is nobody that is without gifting. I don't care if you're, uh, if you got brain damage at birth. I don't care if you uh, wind up restricted in your mobility in a wheelchair. I don't care what your circumstances are. So that gift will make room for you. And it's very important that you recognize that and recognize the, the call and the power of God to give you an ability, to give you a purpose. Your gift always brings purpose to your life. Always. Gifts should not be denied. They should be discovered 
and they should be brought forth, they should be enhanced, they should be developed. The, the greatest development of your gift will be under the power of God's Spirit. Uh, you won't get any greater expression of who you are than you will if God's Spirit has freedom to develop you and your gift along with it. So, <clears throat> in looking at Miss Franklin, we see that she was born, uh, her, her dad, number one, was a preacher. He never worked to, to the knowledge that I picked up at any other job other than preaching. And so he was able to earn a living for preaching, which means that God, he had developed his gift as, as a preacher to the level where God honored it by blessing him with income for it, from it. And so he was a Baptist man. And so out of that tradition, he was able to be assigned to different churches. Uh, it didn't look like he ever developed a church from the ground floor, but he was a part of that denomination, and that's their system. They would find ministers that were willing, you know, brother, we've decided to assign you over here, and you go over here. So his first assignment was in Memphis. His uh, Her mother's name was Barbara. They both had children from either a prior um, relationship or prior marriage. I know, I think they both had been married before. Uh, they married one another, of course, and had four more children. That was Aretha and her sister Carolyn. Uh, she had another sister. Um, uh, let me see, what was that girl's name? It's, eh, I'm, I might run across it again. But both of her sisters actually wound up singing with her so this was a tradition in their family and it was also a gifting in the family the father was also a singer as well as a preacher and what the father was able to do in developing his gift he was able to uh, have concerts uh, what they called a circuit he would would uh, uh do preaching and singing, preaching and singing, preaching and singing. Many secular artists would come and listen to him. If he were singing in a certain city, there were some that really enjoyed him. Uh, one famous singer said that he loved his singing. He said, I loved C.L. Franklin singing more than his preaching. He said his preaching made me nervous, so I would leave when the preaching started. <laughs> I always stayed for the singing, but the preaching made me nervous, so I would leave when that when he started that. So anyway, uh, but he was a very, very um, smart man business-wise as well. And so he was able to make a very comfortable living for his family as a minister and as a singer. Aretha Franklin said of her singing, she said, being a singer is a natural gift. It means I am using to the highest degree possible the gift that God gave me to use, and I'm happy with that. So I think in that statement is the essence of her career, the essence of her life. She appreciated that God had given her a gift to sing, and it was her job to use it to the highest degree possible. The fact that she found joy in it is really a blessing because there are many people that never find joy in what God gave them. Uh, the enemy has a way of making us feel that our gift is inferior to somebody else's. 
Um, there's a lot of jealousy around gifts and callings. There's a lot of um, uh, um, uh, plot and plan of the enemy to cause your gift not to manifest the way God intended it to do. I know <clears throat> many people take issue with the fact that she was a secular singer. Um, there's controversy around whether uh, people who are gifted and are saved have to use their gifts definitely in the church all the time. I don't know. That's between that person and God. I do know that she had an awareness, number one, that it was God-given and that it should not be wasted. And those are the two keys to any kind of success anywhere with what you're given by God. Number one, that you appreciate it as a gift from God. You know, in James it says every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from then there's no variableness or shadow of turning in God. He gives you good and perfect gifts. So it's up to us to develop that gift to get all the perfection in it that God has placed in it. So Aretha bring one of six siblings. Uh, she had uh, two brothers, uh, also three sisters. And uh, one of her dad's assignments took them to upstate New York for a few years uh, while she was uh, still a small child. And they eventually moved to Detroit. And that move was to be a turning point um, as far as time was concerned. There was a timing there that the city of Detroit was developing greater and greater uh, notoriety as a place where music was being developed. There were many uh, <clears throat> things that were brought to this city uh, that kind of helped the music. And, and you got to understand that music uh, comes from a creative spirit and that spirit of creativity is God. God can, can bless whomever with that spirit and so Music being a an art, amen, um, uh, uh, also is, um, it, it tends to bring with it certain, um, I guess you can say drawbacks like any gift would. Uh, an artistic gift tends to either Drive that person or they will drive the gift. You got me? You will either control that gift and, and make it work for you and bring it under submission to your spirit and your soul or that, that gift because it is creative. Creativity tends to seek out ways to express itself much more than any other gift would. Intellect, uh, you know, say an intelligence gift will seek to gain more of itself. People who have great knowledge tend to hunger for more knowledge. And so it's, it's ever increasing in that way. So they reproduce after themselves as far as intellectual knowledge is concerned. But creativity tends to seek expression in a variety of ways. So it's not really compartmentalized. It's not encapsulated and it's hard to rein in and control it. In some ways, there are certain things that will trigger uh, creativity in individuals. Uh, if somebody is, say, if, say, take for instance a singer, 
They will have favorite songs that tend to minister to them. And from hearing favorite songs, that stirs up greater creativity in them. And so they tend to draw from, and think how common song is. And so people who are are musically, artistically creative will draw from all kinds of places. It's been understood, too, that creativity feeds off the realm of the spirit. And so there are people who um, their creativity gets to um, gets stirred up in unique ways. Anything that stirs their spirit will ignite that create creative flow in them. So whether it comes from the Holy Spirit or from spiritual influences on the dark side, these people are extremely feely and sensitive in a spiritual way. Uh, the same thing with painters. They will will <clears throat> get what they call caught up in their work. And you will see them go on binges of creativity. Sometimes artists will you know, get a bunch of canvases. When the canvas runs out and they can't afford it, they'll start painting on pictures. You know, that's, that's typical of famous artists. You'll find that many of them went through periods where they uh, couldn't afford, uh, um, uh, you know, yeah, materials. And often uh, people were raised up as patrons. That's why it's so common for us to support the arts and, you know, give money to the arts and so forth. Because artists would be known to not eat, not sleep. Because they would be captured by the spirit of creativity. Now God won't do that to you. But the enemy will. So many times these people are, are um, because they don't have God's spirit. Many times they become victims of their own gift in a way. You see what I'm saying? Because they give themselves over to it because that's what they have and they enjoy expressing it. It's easy for them to bump into uh, unclean spirits. You know, lust spirits, of course, will grab onto and you'll start seeing people who were being very creative with the human form start all of a sudden to produce pornography and things of that nature because they bumped into a spirit that derails the purity of the gift and gets them into a place where it's not clean anymore. And it will start to stir up feelings in other people. And that's how the enemy gets people captivated. He uses the legitimate gifts of God to pervert what God would want to have done Amen. Some of the early artists were, were, uh, we're thankful to them because we learned a lot of anatomy from them because they knew how to perfectly outline the human form. And so these things are, are given to them by God. These gifts are given by God to help humanity. But pornography does very little to help humanity. It tends to deprave humanity. So there's a fine line sometimes between what's good uh, that a person's gift can produce and what's not so good or can be used by the enemy. So we know that. If you don't use your gift, your gift will use you. Your gift will drive you, will drive your life if you don't learn how to harness it. There are many people who will get involved in developing 
their gift and they don't know how to pace it so that their gift synchronizes with their life. Uh, many people, their gift costs them relationships, marriages, neglect their children, neglect responsibility just because they are not skilled at harnessing that gift and commanding it to make room for them instead of driving them uh, in their lives. Uh, you see this with people who are are very creative, like they have a natural ability for certain things. They have to be careful to balance their lives and bring it under the control of the Holy Spirit because if they don't, they'll find that maybe you're married to somebody you really love, but that person has no patience with you developing your gift. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, it's, well, we got to have food on the table. What are you doing drawing? What are you doing staring out the window? <laughs> you know, and so it's uh it, it can ruin you. If you don't know how to harness it properly, it's typical artistic people have uh, some kind of sorrow or some kind of drawback in their lives where, oh, I really would have loved to have had a good marriage, but it seemed never to have worked out for me. But then they have all this greatness over here that is produced as the fruit of their gift. And so you can see there can be a... A, your gift can be a mixed blessing. Let me put it that way. A mixed blessing. So, uh, music is, is, was, was termed a quickening art. Q-U-I-C-K-E-N-I-N-G. Quickening art. Uh, Immanuel Kant, who really wasn't a musician, said that about music. He referred to it as a quickening art or a life-giving art. And that's proven to be so. When you go to a concert, even if it's secular music, you'll see a certain life or energy there. You know, people now, uh, people are so attuned, more so more, more so attuned to spiritual things than in any other age. Um, you'll see performers come out and say, well, let's get some energy going here. And people will begin to clap their hands. Well, applause is a form of worship. You got me? And so they know how to generate a spirit in an atmosphere that will cause life to come to people. There have been some studies done about music as life-giving uh, in convalescent homes where they'll have people who have not spoken and not engaged. They'll just sit and, you know, look down all day long. And then they introduce some music to them, especially music that's familiar to them, a music that they enjoyed. And they will find that these people quicken or come to life. You got me? And so it is a quickening art. It is very powerful. And that is why people are drawn to it and people enjoy it so much. Um, music is a ministry in and of itself. It is. It carries with it a power that is able to soothe and to heal, to energize, to bring life. Example, David, who played for Saul, when Saul was troubled with an evil spirit, uh, David was able to play his harp for him and uh, begin to, and that spirit would lift off of him. Now, David was anointed by the Holy Spirit, so there was a legitimate healing 
power there. Uh, but even in the natural, a temporary alleviation of mood will come when one hears music. That there is a place in our brains where only music is stored. Did you know that? That is true. Amen. Yeah, and so it's it's an area of your brain that is, and it's part memory, but it is there to bring health and healing to you. So it heals you. So God builds that into us, that music will has healing ability when it's triggered. Amen. And and most music that's stored in our brains is not. Music we dislike. Have you noticed that it's always music we like? Whether we want to admit it or not that now that we've saved, we like that music. We still like that music. Huh? Like if, for instance, if you're shopping in the supermarket and they're playing the background music there, you ever notice it's never anything you just really don't like? It's always, you know, Anita Baker or, you know, something like that, you know, somebody that's going to bring you, uh, some soothing aspect. They play, they pick that music because it has that effect on most people and it's familiar to most people. And so they do that to make you feel comfortable spending all your money. Oh yeah, let me make more. Oh, I forgot about this. Let me go around. It gets you to make at least three extra trips around the supermarket when they play your favorite, uh, your favorite music. And so it is life giving. Music is quickening. It is life giving. There is a ministry of minstrel, amen, that God gives to people. So not only can you sing or play an instrument, but it is a, it is connected to a ministry that is needed in the earth. If music did not have the power it does, uh, we would be a very disappointed and flat people. There are many people who go to church just for the music, amen, because unfortunately nothing else is offered you got me and so uh but you know you need to go for the word and the whole service etc most of us do i know we all do but there are some denominations that don't offer much in the word and so people go just for the music and so the music is pumped they put everything that they have into perfecting that music and making it wonderful so that it will draw people uh, so anyway, so she, they, they family, the family moved to Detroit. Uh, her dad was assigned to a, um, church here. Uh, you remember the name of it, J-Lo? It's a Baptist church. I can't think of the name of it. But anyway, that's where he ministered all of the time that this family was here. Uh, his, unfortunately, Aretha's dad was a womanizer. Uh, as well as a preacher. Amen. And so you know that mixture is not good. And so it was, he was unfaithful to his wife. She wound up leaving and divorcing the family. Uh, and about four day, four years later, she died of a heart attack very suddenly. She was still a very young woman. Uh, and this was when Aretha was about 10 years old. So here she is without a mother. Uh, her grandmother, I think it was maternal grand, maternal grandma, I forget which one, the father or the mother, but she had a grandmother that came and lived with them, uh, had several aunts 
uh, off and on that influenced her life. But many people believe that this death of her mother at such a young age left a pain or an emptiness. Of course, you know, it's not pleasant. Uh, but many people try to get an understanding of her life, how it affected her, her music, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so many people believe, uh, that, that this is what kind of triggered some unfortunate, uh, events in her life or unfortunate circumstances or had her gravitate toward relationships that weren't healthy for her, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, using a, leaving, losing a mother at that age, um, leaves a child vulnerable. You know, your mom teaches you at that age, age 10, that you need to have a mother there to teach you about body changes that will come very shortly to you and uh, how to conduct yourself around young boys, men of the opposite sex, etc. So she had, didn't have that from her mother. And so uh, at age 13 or 14, she had her first child. Now she was touring, she toured with her dad. At that time, her father was pastoring a church, but he also had the freedom, and this is, this is uh, true in denominational circles especially. Denominational circles look for people who will stand out so that they will advance the reputation of that denomination. And so if you have a gift and you have an ability and you can rake in the money and you can get famous, they'll lay out the red carpet for you. And so he wound up being a fairly wealthy man from the touring, from recordings, from things of that nature associated with the music aspect of his gift and calling. Uh, if you're a, a minister who can't be faithful to one woman and can't be faithful to a wife, uh, you spend a little time in church. You understand what I'm saying? So there was, there is this split now, uh, in her family of distancing oneself from the responsibilities and the lifestyle of a minister and gravitating more toward the singing and that part of the gifting because that's where they can feel comfortable with the lifestyle that, that they've created. So already the gift is kind of starting to ruin um, the family in a way. You can say that because it gave him an escape from the discipline of having to live holy for God. See, and so you, in, if you're a parent, you don't want to leave a bad example for your child to follow. You want to leave a good example. And so, um, it, it looks like, uh, Aretha didn't have a lot of guidance or a lot of parental oversight or discipline, but she got gifts. Her mother was also a singer and a pianist. And so she was taught, and her grandmother also was a musician. So there's nothing but music all around her. That's her total influence. God's in there a little bit, but you know, that's mostly they were church goers. The church opened the doors to them because of that singing gift. So you see her gift making room for her in the church and it's going to start to make room for her in the world. So uh, she learned to p- play piano by ear from her grandmother. And everybody knows she's an excellent pianist. 
people who have been music coaches for her throughout the years don't know if she knew how to read music. And they said it didn't matter because she was able to. See, there are some things that are beyond the technical. If you allow your gift to be developed, if you keep that focus on that and you treasure it and you understand it and you know what you're doing with it, uh, you know, it will produce for you. And it appears that Aretha had a, uh, and a unique ability to develop her gift. She understood her gift better than other people comparable understood theirs. Uh, you'll hear comments from people like Smokey Robinson, who was very gifted, very talented. He said she was just from another world. He said she wasn't, people will say things like, well, why wasn't she with, you know, the Motown people and kids? She had so advanced over that. You know, that was like a, a training ground for basic things. By the time, uh, they started that, that, that group and that business, she was already advanced in what she was doing. It wasn't like they could remake her and break her and fit her in with what they were doing because of the, um, it was unusual, unique ability. She had to understand what God gave her and how to use it in any and every situation. So uh, her father encouraged her singing and her music. Uh, Smokey Robinson commented she was born with her gifts fully formed. In other words, she didn't need Barry Gordy and she didn't need that label to develop her the way they did. So they needed uh, some training. They needed honing. They needed perfecting. Her gift was fully formed. You can see in her performances that she wasn't like a performer, a staged person. She just came out with that microphone and she sang. And so that's that was unique for that time because you can see popular music has gotten more what they call staged or gimmicky, where people will have to have uh, great, you know, sets and all this kind of stuff. Even Michael Jackson, as gifted as he was, they relied heavily special effects. Uh, creating an atmosphere, so forth and so on. So they um, see that if you're if you know your gift and you know how to develop it, you don't need that other stuff. The gift speaks for itself. But uh, people being insecure, that business being competitive, you see more and more people are relying on staging, special effects, gimmicks, dancers that come along with them. Aretha Franklin, most of her songs were were made with three backup singers, her two sisters and one other person. And so it was like, you know, it's just us and this, you know, this gift that I have and this is what I have. And so it's very unique. She was extremely unique in the world of entertainment. In fact, some uh, Luther Vandross said of her, she is not entertainment. He didn't know what to call her quite. He was a producer for her for a while. He grew up listening to her music among some others. And he said it was the joy of his life to be able to produce and to sing with her uh, after he was an adult. And so people around you will recognize, even though they don't understand your gift, even though they don't sometimes get the full impact of it but as long as you understand it 
as long as you know it's God given, as long as you give God full, uh, full charge and full authority in that, it will continue to make room for you till the day you leave this earth. Your gift will make room for you. So, <clears throat> she did not finish high school. This is typical of many gifted people that know what they're called to do. There becomes a certainty in your life as to how to spend your time. There are times when there are certain opportunities that come for your gift to get expressed or for your gift to be developed. And if you don't take those opportunities, uh, you may find you regret it. So people who are gift-driven or or respect their gifts to a high degree, they live for the day when the door opens to go to the next place that that gift will take them. And so they are not uh, afraid for their future because... Developing your gift gives you a confidence and a certainty and a joy inside. They live for the satisfaction of knowing the expression of that gift is on time, that it's accurate, it's not frustrated by anything else in your life. And so it's very important to keep in tune with who you are gift-wise. It's very important. Uh, If you don't, you'll miss out. And so your gift doesn't depend on K through 12 on time. It really doesn't. And, and, and this is a hard thing to get people to look at. I think it's easier now. But if you look at some of the people who have done uh, revolutionary things in their field, you'll see that the business of educa- education has to be put on the side, formal education has to be put on the side because it becomes a distraction to your gift. People who are driven by their gifting don't want to be frustrated and anything that's a distraction, they have to learn how to deal with it, move it out of the way and get and allow the gift the freedom of expression and development it's because they know there's a purpose for why that gift is there and they are tuned in to keeping in line with that purpose. It's just the way it is. And see, many times, uh, and especially if your gift is what we call timely, like uh, Esther, you know, our little favorite phrase, she was called for such a time as this. Well, you got to know what time it is. Amen. And so if you, you, your gift will let you know what time it is. Is it time for us to do this? Is it time for us to do that? Et cetera, et cetera. And so when you, when you understand it, uh, you, you'll be comfortable with it. You won't be, um, you know, burn out. You won't be frustrated and you won't be sitting somewhere not doing what you're supposed to do. Um, the, the uh, young man, Michael, I think it's his, what is his last name? The Irish guy. Flattery, Flattery, Flatley. That's his name. Uh, Lord of the Dance. Remember? With the worn out dance shoes that he kept for many years. He said when he was in school, he would have visions and daydreams of what he eventually wound up doing. He said the teachers would come and slap him on the head and ask him to tell him, wake up, what are you doing? And he shared with one of the teachers and they laughed at him. 
but he said, I held on to the dreams that were in me. He said, as soon as I was able to, I left school and I developed my gift to where you see it now. That thing came out of nowhere. See, with, with the advent of video, television, and all that, everybody can be famous in a matter of seconds. And for some people, that's their destiny is to bring out of a situation something that will bring joy and entertainment and laughter and excitement to people, that's very important. Because God produces with his spirit laughter, excitement, uh, peace, joy, all of those fruit of the spirit. Of course, they're, they're soulish fruit when they're in the world. But for people who work hard, a Friday going watching something entertaining is worth all the money they spend for it. And so we have to understand that this is an important part of life to make life interesting, to make life bearable for some people, to make it entertaining, and to make it worth living. Sometimes those gifts are just that way. We don't look at singing, entertaining, dancing as being very important. But why do people flock to them? Uh, why do people uh, take time off or go on vacation and on their vacation? I just got to see so-and-so. They, they're having this thing and that thing. And so we have to understand that these things are important. God puts gifts in people for this reason, that they can bring joy to other people. Uh, I was talking to uh, Bianca, uh, my uh, grandniece, and, and she's very creative. She likes artistic things. Of course, in, in school, you have to discipline it. You can't give yourself totally over to it, but we'll see what she does later in life. But uh, I was, she was doing something, and I said, oh, you want to do your drawings? Yeah. And I said, well, Bibi, your your gift is to make I said, your gift is to make life beautiful for people who don't know how to create beautiful things. You got me? And so you have to affirm people's gifts. You can't let people get frustrated and not value uh, what they have in them. So, in, And children just want to be affirmed all the time. They want to tell them they're okay. You're cute. You know, you did that right. You know, that kind of stuff. That's, that's your job. was our job with one another to affirm one another at all times. That's what love does. So anyway, uh, Aretha Franklin's dad eventually uh, had a radio program. And this was something that propelled them both in the traveling uh, gospel circuit. He was prominent in gospel and preaching. He did many gospel tours, uh, and he did a combination of singing and preaching. Uh, he made an excellent living. Aretha accompanied him and sang also. So she was kind of like the spoiled, gifted preacher's kid. Um, and people like that develop a way to protect themselves. Not me. You notice when she, if she's somewhere publicly, she carries herself in such a way that nobody comes and sticks a mic in her face. She never is drunk, outlandish ridiculous um, there have been no reports of her being strung out on drugs not me so she's lived in this kind of protective zone that I feel is of God because there's a way that people have to stay close enough to God now if you're not called a preacher you don't feel the call a preacher you don't know if you call a preacher or not and never that 
that that knock never comes on the door of your heart, um, then you are called to serve God in the level of knowledge that you have of him. If you're not spirit filled, you're not going to have a knowledge of living holy. You're going to, I mean, it's hard with just, you know, the seal of the Holy Ghost, not, not to diminish that, but there's always more for us that God prepared for us. There have been denominations started because the denomination that they came from tolerated a lot of unclean living. Uh, at the turn of the century at Azusa Street, that was the one thing that the, the spirit-filled denominations found out, that the sanctification and setting apart to live for God and to be holy for God would occur with what we know as the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So non-tongue talkers have a difficult time. Uh, why? Because you, you, you don't edify your spirit enough for it to take total charge of your life. And you live totally for God. And so that work of, of, of the Holy Spirit, that's why Jesus told him to go and wait until they were endued or clothed with power from on high. Power works within and power works without. It's not just for ministering, but it's for keeping you set apart and holy unto God. So they didn't have the privilege of this knowledge or it probably would have turned out a totally different way. But but she allowed her gift free expression in her life. She, as I say, she toured with her father and sang and there was very loose supervision while she was on these tours. It gave her dad opportunity to continue to be a womanizer. Amen. It's just the way it was. Aretha became pregnant while on tour with her dad. Twice. Uh, she had these children and, and, uh, let me see, uh, um, at age 14, her dad, being a businessman, signed her to a recording contract and she made recordings of strictly gospel songs. So at that time, gospel was their bread and butter. It was her total interest and it was her foundation throughout her life. The unique sound that she developed was totally unique to her and her alone. Nobody's ever copied it. Nobody's understood it. And like Smokey Robinson said, she came fully formed. Her gift came fully formed. So uh, I believe it was a combination of giftings uh, from both sides of her family. Giftings tend to run in DNA as well as in, you know, just your spirit. Now, God can sovereignly put any gift he wants to in anybody. But minstrel, psalmist, those types of gifts tend to run what I call in DNA. And you see it, it's scriptural. The Levites, because they were ministers in the temple, they were the preachers, the singers, they had the revelation gifts, they had the, you know, all of the gifts that God would need to run his kingdom down here on earth was in the Levitical priesthood, the priest gifts. And they were transferred to their descendants. So there was a natural line of Aaron that was gifted that way. And it hasn't changed much. Um, God does that to make sure the gift gets nurtured the right way. Because if your children see this, they tend to imitate it. That's what kids do. When they see their parents do things, they'll imitate those things. Amen? That's why, you know, 
parents get embarrassed when the kid goes off the rails because it reflects on them. You know, you immediately grab, well, what did I, I teach them? Or you go into denial. You didn't learn that from me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we know that imitation is part of, of teaching. It's modeling. And so that's why it pays to live a clean life, <laughs> a holy life before your, your children because they will become the benefits. Train them up in the way they should go. Amen. And so the way they should go is the way of God and not see mom and dad do everything that they feel that they can do. You know, have some restraint, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, her first recording, she had a contract at age 14. Her dad had to co-sign for that. But at age 18, she broke away from the gospel caravans. She had a friend, Sam Cook, who you know, um, well, you may not know, but he was uh, shot to death in, in a hotel incident uh, when he was like in his 30s. But he sang with a gospel group, and then he crossed over and started doing popular music. And so with him went many other gospel singers over into the area of pop music, and she was one of them. Uh, her earliest contract with, with uh, at her father's urging, uh, she signed with the record label Columbia, where she labored, and and this is essential when you're gifted. There will be a place where you labor to sow seeds for future harvest, and so it looks like Columbia was a place where she sowed many, many seeds that didn't produce a whole lot of greatness at the time. Uh, she was there, I think, at about 10, for about 10 years, and she produced uh, uh, more than a dozen albums. They did okay, but never the breakthrough that she knew was available to her. We, they call it in that business paying dues. You know, they'll say, oh, well, you gotta pay your dues. You gotta, you know, do the, the grunt jobs. You've gotta do the, uh, what they call chitlin circuit in, in gospel and blues music. Uh, places where they were just dives. It was just a bar and people came, but you went because it was an open door. And so they believe in that business and paying your dues. And I think Columbia was where she paid her dues. She always was a contracted singer which is rare. I mean, who gets a contract at age 14? Who gets another contract at age 16 in a nationwide, if not worldwide, record label? And that's what Columbia was. At her father's urging, she signed on with them. Uh, He defended her before the congregation because the congregation rose up uh, fundamentalists like to fight. So Baptist, the Baptist denomination is considered a fundamentalist. Not a spirit filled, but fundamentalist. So it means they have the laws. Do not do this, do not do that, do not, do not, do not, do not. But they never tell you how to get the power to not do stuff. <laughs> Amen. So, so it's something a little missing there. But the congregation was kind of up in arms that she would sing secular music, but her father defended her. Again, she has somebody fighting for her to protect her, to cover her in her life. She was married in 1961. Her business manager, uh, and she got married, his name was Ted White. 
um, her dad was not supportive of this marriage, uh, which sometimes makes a kid more determined to do what they decide to do. And, uh, but she was old enough to get married on her own. And that's, that's, you know, what, what they did. Um, her husband was sub- sub- said to be abusive to her, which was not known, uh, widely at the time. Uh, you gotta understand this was in the early sixties and, um, mass communication wasn't, you know, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was, not no internet really and so it was easy to conceal certain things if you were a performer if you didn't want them known and nobody went snooping because she wasn't as prominent as she eventually got to be so ways that people could find negative things about her weren't even there and by the time she got to be real prominent she was so private and so protected by people around her etc etc there was nothing to see you got me nothing to tell and so he was uh he's her husband uh seemed to cause problems in her singing career there was conflict and strife almost with every producer uh that that they were uh, involved with in 1964 she had a third child uh Teddy uh with her husband uh and they later divorced in 1969 1978, she married a Glenn to, again to Glenn Turman, the actor. After that, when they were divorced, she had another child out of wedlock, uh, and so uh, that's how her private life went. It was kind of up and down, up and down, up and down, come, coming and going, no stability. Amen. While at Columbia, she did okay, but not stellar. 1967, she moved to Atlantic Records, having paid her dues and sold her seed over at Columbia, and that's where she began to be extremely prominent because her gift then began to open uh, monumental doors for her. While she was married to Ted White, she ran into some musicians. They were offered, given an offer to do a song by Otis Redding, and we know it as the song Respect. That's probably the one she's most known for. Um, And this is something that was characteristic of her career. She didn't mind doing songs that were already done by other artists. And that was kind of rare for that time because there were, say, for instance, um, in the era prior to her generation, there were many kind of like universal songs that everybody sang. There were big band songs. There were blues songs. There were different songs. And they kind of seemed to belong to everybody. Uh, during the rock and roll and pop era, songs would become signature for certain people. And you were scared to redo them. You got me? So, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, there are some songs that that people will sing over and over again and they're kind of standard, but then there's some songs that are identified with certain people. They're kind of like stellar songs. And after that, one person sings them. Nobody tries to sing them better anymore. And, uh, yeah. And so, you know, it's just that way in that business. It was a little, uh, little competitive in that way, but it seemed that she redid everybody's songs without fear 
find a way to get the rights to make a recording of them. Uh, Otis Redding had a very unique sound. Unfortunately, he died before he got a chance to do much in his career. Um, but it seems like what he did, uh, she was able to pick up. Now, this is typical people that have gifts. They will pick up unique things that maybe are are discovered by other people. So with Otis Redding passing away, she became the only person that really carried that that sound. Got me? Um, if you notice in gospel music, the lead instrument is always what? Is either the piano or the organ. It's got to have some keys on it or we don't want, yeah, we can't sing if you don't have no keys. But her music, when she flipped over to pop music, the lead instrument, if you notice the song Respect, what's the lead instrument there? Huh? Guitar. As typical Muscle Shoals, Alabama sound from Star Recording. When she picked that up, there was like racial war everywhere. Her husband flipped out because they were in a little shack in Alabama by the ocean. All the musicians were white. and But she stuck with it. Because it was something new and she took to it. Her gift ate it up. Amen. And so this is the gift's dream. The dream of your gift is to find that place. It's a unique place where that gift is comfortable, where that gift can produce, and where that gift can do what it's called to do. And that gift doesn't care what color somebody is that's sitting there. And that's the unique thing about music. You'll see that with music throughout the ages. You'll see it crosses. People can go across the ocean and be very popular, say, in a place like France, singing the blues and one dive after another after another. And they come here and they're met with protest signs and segregation and all that happened a lot with artistic people. But they wound up going where that gift found a home where that gift felt comfortable and where that gift flourished. And for Aretha Franklin, it was Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Amen. And and those musicians worked with her. Her husband hated them. He called them racist. He called them every kind of name. And eventually the husband split. You got me? The gift dominated and the gift said i am home here i am comfortable here i love it here i can flourish here and the husband said bye-bye amen the gift said goodbye to the husband let's put it that way and so (laughs) amen (laughs) whatever amen and so her music exploded after that her gift had found its home she was able to merge comfortably gospel with pop music because in a place like Detroit the mixture was kind of stiff but in Alabama it was comfortable you will find southern musicians tend to, they'll sing you a gospel song have everybody crying one minute and then flip over and pop and y'all happy with that they don't take they don't separate them out they don't try to sanctify their gospel and set it apart from their popular music um 
See, uh, we people in the church, we want to make some kind of judgment about it. But I don't know how to judge that. I mean, if it's okay with God, who am I to? We're not okay with God. I don't know. This is not my business. But the thing that I do know is that they are not hypocritical about their commitment to God. If you can take him with you everywhere, like for instance, Elvis Presley, if you ever see a, a um, video of his concerts. Now, I never went to a live Elvis concert. <laughs> this looked a little hokey to me, you know, with his jumpsuit. And, Thank you very much. You know, I can do that as well. But uh um he has a segment in there where he has everybody be quiet and stand while he sings. Um it's not to God be the glory, but it's another one of Oh yeah. Huh? What I can't hear you. That one, but it was it was definitely a church song. Uh, without a doubt, we know that we have been revived. The presence of the Lord is in this place. Benny Hinn does it. He does that. He do it at every concert. You get a tape of him, you'll see, and he'll make people stand up. They're very respectful. If you're drunk, you get sober. But we gonna sing this song. If you see his rehearsals, he'll. If it's it's always some other. I call them backslidden Christians. Maybe they don't know what they're doing or what. I don't know. It's hard to judge, but they'll do their little jam sessions and everybody will pick. Well, let's pick so-and-so song. They all got a familiar gospel song that they all know and they can all sing and they can develop their pitch and all of the timing and all that. And it's done. That's their foundation. And so some people are not hypocritical about it. They'll bring it right into their concert. And, you know, if you don't like it, bye-bye. But we're going to sing this song for God, you know, and give him honor and respect. And so that's very, very typical of that that geographical area that she drew from. And I think that's what made her fit so comfortably in that because their prior record label her music didn't take off something's right something's wrong she runs into Otis Redding he introduces her to that type of music and with the mixture of gospel and popular in there where it was comfortable to mix those two that's where she flourished that's how that sound uh, came about, uh, they, they were the people that gave her sound, her, her very, its very own unique style. And those musicians played for her for many, many decades. She always had that connection there because that's where her gift felt at ease. That is the, the job of the recipient of the carrier of the gift. You have to get an atmosphere where that gift is comfortable and it, and it can live. It can thrive. And when that happens, you're happy. You know, you've reached where you need to go. And so it's not so much whether or not we make a lot of money, we do this with a, but be comfortable that your gift is where it's supposed to be, where you feel the greatest blessing uh because your gift is is there whether or not she should have been strictly in the church i can't tell you that 
God can tell you, but I'll tell you one thing. She sure had a lot of happiness and success and made a lot of other people happy. If it was in the wrong place, she got really good results from it. You understand what I'm saying? And she lived a, a fairly long life. Uh, you know, we were promised 70 under the old covenant, 120. Few people get there. But, uh, you know, she wasn't an early death person at all. She was able to. And I think that connection with God, see, when, when people aren't around you, you don't know what they do. But I know if she's got gospel music in her soul as a ministry to her, she knows how to tap into that. In fact, she's quoted as saying music has always been her therapy. And she'll go to that piano and she'll start singing and she'll start to minister to herself that way. Amen. So the the music that she did was not typical. It was a whole new um, type. It was a whole new um, sound. It was totally her. It was her sound. It was unique. It was not Motown. We know that. It wasn't rock and it wasn't gospel. It was her gift. Her gift uh, developed that sound. She had over uh, 80 singles that hit some place on the charts. I think charts start at 50. So it's the top 50. And her songs had a timelessness and social uh, timeliness and social problems of the day. The song Respect began to speak into the civil rights movement that was, uh, you know, late 50s, early 60s. She was active in the civil rights movement and was a compelling figure in that movement. She sang for Dr. Martin Luther King before his death and at his funeral. She is quoted as saying, be your own artist and always be confident in what you are doing. And I think that was the that was the key, you know, when you're doing what you're supposed to do and you like it, you're confident. She said, if you're not confident, you might as well not be doing it. And that was, things were just that simple to her, you know. Do what you're supposed to do and learn how to enjoy it, like it, get it to the place where it's developed, where you're pleased with it. And And that's not typical of gifted people somehow they always seem a little frustrated with something about it, you know, worried about the next gig, worried about the manager who won't work hard for them, worried about the family and being away from them too long and, and all kinds of things. And so she just learned how to be confident in her gift and uh, get control over it, get dominion over that so that it worked for her and it didn't, she didn't have to work for it. Many people are gifted and they have to work for their gift. You know, they don't know how to get it under command. But she did. And I think she did it by practice. She did it by surrounding herself with the right people. Uh, her sister was very, um, uh, Carolyn was very uh, instrumental in helping her form the arrangements for her songs. Practicing with her every day. Uh, things like that. She passed away in 1988. It was very young for her sister. And that was devastating to Aretha and the whole family. They really, really depended upon her a lot. Um, 
She received her first Grammy in 1968, became a cultural icon. She was honored by Dr. Martin Luther King. She was on the cover of Time magazine in 1968, which was rare for a musician. Very few musicians uh, um, were elevated to that place. She had 44 Grammy nominations. Uh, Her career flourished during the 1970s. Her largest selling album was actually, guess what? Huh? Amazing Grace, a gospel album, amen. And so gospel was always there with her and nobody, I don't think, ever accused her of not being faithful <laughs> to the church because she, she was so honored in what she did. You got me? Somehow being honored silences all of your critics. Got me? And I don't think she she left the church because they wouldn't let her sing the way she wanted to. She sang church stuff in church. She didn't want to sing pop in the church. You understand? Anybody looking at that will make that comment, but I don't think that's right. It doesn't seem like it's right because she always had the freedom to sing what she knew to be church music. Um, In the 80s, she was uh, honored to sing at the Royal Albert Hall in front of Queen Elizabeth. Elizabeth has always been the queen of England. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like nobody else is. Oh yeah, her. Right. Still here. And she's still here. Amen. Blessing is a blessing. She, she went into acting. She acted in one movie, uh, and it revived her career. So she was always managed by people who knew how to make the right moves for her. She signed with a new company in the 80s, Arista. A-R-I-S-T, I think that's Clive Davis. Man, he's made a ton of people very happy, very famous, and very wealthy. So as her gift increases and commands more, she's able to get in the company of people who are able to produce that for her. And that's good. Amen. So uh, her career underwent many revivals and resurrections. Uh she was quoted as saying, don't say Aretha is making a comeback because I've never been away. Amen. Always been there. She received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005. I think that was George W. With w. George W. Bush was president. She received honorary degrees from Harvard and Yale. Amen. Performing arts are taught in colleges. And they honor people who have a high degree of um, accomplishment in whatever field. So performing arts is just not a degree thrown out because, uh, you know, you're famous and they want you on their stage. It's, it's, these are performing arts degrees. Uh, one of the unique things that she did, she developed a love for opera. Uh, her um, singing coach... She always had coaches. She always had. See, when you respect your gift, you don't just try to turn it loose and say nobody can handle me. You look for, you seek other people who have excellence in them. And so you always grab onto the excellent because if you invest excellence in what you have, the the sum total will be excellent. Not me. So she always had singing coaches, voice coaches. 
her last uh, voice coach over the last 20 years, was accomplished in opera. And uh, <clears throat> Aretha Franklin had sung for Pavarotti uh, um, um, once. And as it turned out, she was at a Grammy celebration. I think it was 2000 and I forget. It was it was in in the 2000s. I forget. I didn't make note of the date. Uh, she is credited with being a 20th and 21st century musician and singer. So she's banned a couple of centuries. So that's that's always good to know. But uh, Pavarotti was his voice was down for the night, and he could he was in the building, but he couldn't sing because his voice was down. And he he called the uh, producer, um, who panicked, and uh, couldn't think of anybody who might be able just to sing. He said, "I was just looking for somebody to fill in three or four minutes." He said, "In." I decided to go and ask Aretha if she would do it for me. He had bunches of people on the program, but he asked her. And uh, he asked her, can you sing yours in Pavarotti's too? She said, yes, I can do that. And uh, he asked her what she wanted to sing, and she gave him an opera, and he just fell out in the floor, you know. But he said between, there was in the Grammys along, like a four-hour three-hour program or something and he said between the time he asked her about it and the time she went on stage she got together with the conductor she got together with the orchestra and they worked out some essential things and she was able to sing his song and everybody there was shocked they had no idea she had a command of opera the way she did but this is a gift This is what the gift strives to do. It strives to be excellent. The gift kind of has a life of its own, except that it works for you, you understand, and you have to develop it. But she had such confidence in her gift, not herself. See, we can separate ourselves out from our gift and allow that gift to be have its own life that it likes to have, but we we coach it, we feed it, we nurture it, we train it, we do all the things as custodians of the gift. I believe you get more out of it. You get more perfection. You get more because that gift starts to crave for certain things. And I believe her gift craved for expression in every single genre of music that it ever heard. You know, it's like it'll hear, it'll hear gospel. So, oh, I love that. Let's do some gospel. Let's do that. Well, I like that over there too. And let's go do that. See, that's the power of a gift. And if you are, are managing the gift well, you learn to allow that gift to feed on what it needs to satisfy itself. You got me? Uh, there's certain things that your gift needs to feed on. Like sometimes I'll feel just restless or oh, god i don't know what i want and you go get in the word that's not it you go do this that's not it. You and finally somebody will give you a tape or you'll get a, a, a teaching or you'll go on youtube and somebody's preaching something you think that's what it is amen and so your gift will make room for you folks we we lost a gift this week but the she's not lost amen still here in many many forms but i think the inspiration 
and how she managed her gift and how she allowed it to bless humanity. And that's the important thing. Every gift is given to bless humanity. It's not your personal gift for you to do what you want without it blessing somebody. And so if we will get in a position to let that gift develop, flourish, prosper, do everything it, it needs to do, you know, it, it will bless many, many people many times over. And it will have longevity in the earth. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about her, her is she had longevity in this earth. Compared to a lot of people with that gift, her life was long. You got me? There's think somebody else. Who's a Tony Bennett's in his 90s now? I mean, some of them are like a very long. And I think the more they can uh, live a right kind of life with the gift, course the longer you live you know you're a blessing and and god blesses you so okay so her gift made room for her and blessed us amen all right why don't we stop father we thank you for blessing us thank you lord for giving us understanding of how you gift us in the earth we praise you and we thank you lord that you we were blessed to know uh aretha franklin sister aretha franklin lord and we thank you lord for giving her the gift of life In Jesus' name.